0: So, if you've been with us for a while, or maybe, and if you haven't been with us, I'm going to tell you what you're missing out on, but we've been in a series on spiritual warfare and deliverance that will probably be 12 weeks in all, Um, and we're taking our time going through that and, you know, taking breaks as necessary to talk about different things, Um, and this week, uh, I felt led that um i was not supposed to preach into the next session on that but to preach a different message for tonight and um i was in prayer this week i think it was wednesday and i was praying at the corporate prayer time wednesday morning and i just started praying i was praying psalm 89 and just started praying all this stuff and as i was praying all these things the lord's like and there's your there's your sermon for this weekend i'm like okay Um, So we're going to take a break on the spiritual warfare stuff. Um, Lord willing, we'll be jumping back in next weekend. And the next sermon is going to be a doozy. I'll just leave it at that. So I can't wait to to jump back into that. Um, I want to talk to you tonight um, with this message that I'm calling Trusting God in the Process. Trusting God in the Process. I want to read a couple of scriptures, Isaiah 11, 1, and John 15, 1 through 8. So Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Have you ever seen a, a shoot that comes up from a stump? I think it's one of the last pictures I put on there. I wasn't going to show it at this point, but go ahead and put that up if you have it, the, the shoot. This, it looks something like this. We see them often when we go to cut down a Christmas tree every year. You can see a lot of these little shoots coming up out of the ones that were cut down the year before. And what blows me away, if you think about, God's actually talking about the nation of Israel was this glorious tree or glorious vine. Massive and just beautiful. And it gets cut down completely. Um, prophetically speaking about the captivity of Babylon. And a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse, which is David's father. So it's referencing the lineage of David, a shoot, one green little twig. And and if you saw that walking through the woods, would you ever think, like what chances or what hope would you have that that little shoot would ever grow back into a glorious tree? You would probably think, oh no, something's going to come along and trample that. It's so tender. It's so weak. It's so fragile. And yet, speaking of Jesus, God says, a shoot's going to come out of the stump. And the shoot that comes out will be the greatest vine, the greatest tree that's ever existed. He's, of course, speaking of Jesus. So a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can flip to John 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, John 15. One through eight. Keep in mind, this is right after the Last Supper. So we just celebrated communion. Jesus instituted communion at the Last Supper. Of course, it was a fulfillment of Passover, but he said, Do it in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of Moses and the Passover lamb. Do it in remembrance of me. I am the Passover lamb slain before the creation of the world, is what he was referencing. And then remember during the Passover meal, he says, One of you is going to betray me. And they said, Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Maybe as we were taking the Lord's Supper, you were keenly aware of your own sinfulness or your own shortcomings, or maybe things the Lord pressed on your heart that you didn't do. And I just find it interesting that there wasn't one of his 12 disciples that thought, maybe it's me, because <laughs> they're all keenly aware of their own shortcomings. He said, It's the one I dip this bread in the bowl and hand it to. And he dipped the bread, which signified his body and his blood, and he gave it to Judas. And what he was saying is, I died for you too. Going to die for you too, you know. Gives it to him. Prophetic. Prophesying grace over him. I'm dying for you too. But of course, Judas didn't receive it. He, he went out and he betrayed Jesus. They leave the Last Supper. And they go out on their way to the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane, which is at the foot And many scholars believe they're walking through a vineyard on the way to Gethsemane, which is the garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives, where the wine press is, or the olive press is, rather. And as they're walking through this vineyard, he begins to teach. Now, John, think about the four Gospels. John has 21 chapters, chapters 14 through 19 or so. 18, 19, somewhere in there, cover this last conversation. Like three or four chapters on Jesus' final conversation before the cross. And this is John 15 in the middle of that. I'm going to read it, verses 1 through 8. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, or perhaps another translation would say the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So, Jesus is talking about pruning the pruning of the vine, the pruning of the branches. And right after this verse on pruning, I want you to just think about and consider and notice how many times he says, remain or abide or wait in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Abide means to wait and to hold fast. To not, the word means do not depart. Do not depart. And consider how many times he says this right after he talks about pruning. Verse four, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must what? Remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I want to talk to you tonight about trusting God in the process. The word, Jesus is referring here to a process. Not only the process of pruning, but that of bearing fruit. Jesus' goal for us as disciples and as his followers is that we bear fruit. Once we've borne fruit, it's that we would bear more fruit with the ultimate goal of bearing much fruit. But if you want to bear much fruit as a follower of Jesus, that's his goal for you, by the way. If you want to, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want his will to be done, if you want... To bear much fruit, if you want your church family to bear much fruit, there's a process. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's a process. The word process means a natural phenomenon marked by gradual changes that lead to a particular result. In other words, the natural process of growth and development. If you think about a vine or or a vineyard, how does a vine come into being? There's a seed at some point, it's planted, it grows into a vine, right? There's a natural process, it sends out shoots, it sends out branches. Those branches grow buds, which eventually become the fruit that we enjoy, but it's a process, Another definition of process is a series of actions or steps to achieve a desired end. And the interesting thing with a vineyard that Jesus is referring to, there's a natural process of growth and development, small changes over time, growing, developing. But then there's a vine dresser that comes and does a series of actions or steps to, to manipulate the natural process to bring about bearing much fruit. And so in, when it comes to making wine or, or making grapes, bearing fruit in a vineyard, both definitions are at play. It's a process. I want you to consider how often God works through the process or the processes that he has set up in creation. Consider how often he works through these things. He created everything on earth to grow and develop, including us. Plants start as a seed, germinate, sprout, grow, mature, bear fruit. And then the process starts all over again with every single generation each year, season after season. The food that we eat, the reason we're alive are because of the process, the process of food growing, of animals eating that food. And the processes that we do to make food, make plants and animals into food for us. That's the reason we're, we've, we're sustained and we're able to be here tonight. People, think about this. You and I, people, we start as a single cell. You could, The Bible would say a seed from the father called a sperm that you could say germinates or conceives in the egg of the mother. This creates a new single cell called a zygote. And from that, the person, so to speak, sprouts and grows and multiplies, goes through a process of development. They're born, they grow and develop some more. And then eventually they have the ability to bear fruit themselves. God created seasons for planting and growing and harvesting for and for resting. These seasons are called spring, summer, winter, fall Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything under the sun it's part of the processes that God has developed. The first command in scripture is to go forth and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the entire earth, Adam and Eve. Fill the entire earth, mankind. Fill it and subdue it. Bring it under your authority. How are they going to do that? It's not just going to go out and happen in one day. It's not going to happen in a single step or a single action. It's a process to go forth and multiply. Adam and Eve have to conceive, you know, Uh, bear children, those children have to go through the process of development, grow up, get married, and go through the whole process again and again and again and again until the earth. Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you see what I'm talking about? The processes, thank you. Do you see what I'm talking about? The processes involved in creation and how often God uses and works through the process because this is so important to understand, especially for a church like ours because we are a church that believes in the supernatural power of God. We are a church that believes when we have a little prayer time in the middle of the service and if you have eye issues, you can get healed right now in the name of Jesus. Boom, he zaps you with healing power and boom, you're healed right? You can come up and give your life to Christ and boom, you're forgiven. Boom. You're going to heaven, right? You can get filled with the Holy spirit. Oh my goodness. All of a sudden, in one single moment, one touch from God, you can get healed. You can get set free. It's awesome. God can intervene in a moment, touch somebody and, and just do things that in one moment from a touch from God, that, that 27 years could never do in, in the natural, right? We know that. We believe in that. We go after that every single week. But by and large, in our lives, God usually works through the processes that he has set up. It's a process. Look at your neighbor and tell him It's a process. Have you ever considered the process God went through to bring Jesus on the earth. He proclaimed it would happen in Genesis 3, verse 15. And yet Jesus, the seed of man that would crush the head of the serpent, didn't come until thousands of years later. Caleb Hensley in his sermon last week talked about the Pax Romana and the Roman road and how it just conveniently was so perfectly positioned for the gospel to come forth that it could spread like wildfire because of uh, the way that the, the conditions were perfect. And so God announces in Genesis 3.15, but generations go by, generations and generations, and he brings about Moses and brings his people out of slavery, and he gives his word at Mount Sinai and develops a whole nation and gives the law so that people can conceive what sin is and the sacrificial system so we could try to somewhat understand how powerful what Jesus would do for us would be. And then when the conditions were right, he brought about Jesus. It's a process. And then in John 15, Jesus describes the process of pruning that God takes us through. So we'll not just be fruitful, but even more fruitful. And so we can bear much fruit Which brings glory to God, by which we show ourselves or prove, that's really what he's saying. You will prove you're my disciples when you bear much fruit. By the fruit that Jesus produces in our lives. He's the one that produces the fruit as we remain and abide in him. But it's a process. Consider how often God doesn't just immediately do miracles or cause things to happen. We see that in scripture, but by and large, for the most part, he's a God who works through the process. Mark 2, verse 22, Jesus said, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine." skins. And he's of course referring what he came to do on the earth, what he came to bring on the earth. Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm new wine. I'm bringing new wine. I'm doing a new thing. So we need a new wine skin. So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He's looking for us to bear fruit. In fact, to bear more fruit, to bear much fruit, but he's not just looking for fruit. He's looking for wine from us symbolic of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's looking for wine. Do you realize the process that is involved to make wine? Now, in their day, they were very familiar with vineyards, and if they themselves were not A farmer that worked in a vineyard, they probably knew someone who was. So when Jesus just starts rattling off about the wine or the vine and the branches and the vine dresser and the pruning, they're all like, oh yeah, okay, oh wow, okay, I get it. But a lot of us are totally clueless because we live in a modern world where if you want wine, you don't go to your friend that owns the vineyard, you go to the grocery store and you buy a bottle. We're so removed from the process that so often we don't even know what jesus is talking about and it's not just with wine or vineyards think about in scripture how often farming analogies are moved and yet raise your hand in this room if you're a farmer a few of you and in this region it would be a higher concentration right Most people on the earth are removed from the process. There's a really good book that I love called Scouting the Divine by Margaret Feinberg. And she basically uh, realized how little we understand of scripture and especially the stories, the parables of Jesus, because he used farming analogies so much. And so she went out and she spent like a few years researching this book that she wrote. And she visited um, a farmer. And asked him about all the farming analogies uh, in scripture and what these things mean to gain greater understanding. She went out and interviewed a a modern day shepherd, someone who keeps flocks of sheep and goats. And, and, you know, asked about all the passages where Jesus was teaching on that to try to better understand the deeper knowledge of what he was referring to. She went out and interviewed a, a modern day beekeeper. Um, to understand milk and honey and what is this about honey so much mentioned it I'll bring honey you know if you would have asked me I would have brought honey out of the rock God says in scripture it's like what is what is all this talk about honey why was it so special in their culture in the last section of the book she she visits a modern day master vintner which is a like a winemaker in Napa Valley California and she interviewed him about the process of making wine and the process of pruning. And, and she asked him, this guy happened to be a Christian man. And she asked him about the passages in scripture that referred to this and, uh, especially John 15. And what she discovered was that it is a very long-term investment when it comes to planting a vineyard and making wine. And I want to describe the process of winemaking to you just so you have some greater appreciation for what Jesus is saying. And then I want to preach it a little bit to you from some things the Lord was giving me through this. So when a vintner or a winemaker plants a new vine, I think we have a picture of like a vine. Yeah, just leave this picture up for most of the time that I talk. So this is what it's going to look like after it's grown a few years and it's been pruned. This one's probably, when they start out, I mean, they're very, very skinny, right? This trunk here, when you look at this, you think, oh, this is the vine and these are the branches. No, this right here, stopping about right here, that's the vine. It's just this small, little, gnarly, little trunk. And then these branches grow out from it and most... Uh, There's actually, it can have a lot of branches, but they usually prune it down uh, to having two main branches that they'll, of course, wrap around a trellis. And then these little buds form, and out of the buds come these other canes or these, uh, yeah, these canes that, that that's where the fruit grows. So this is actually the vine. These are the branches, and then these are the canes that will bear the fruit. So when this vine grows in the first year, they let it grow the entire growing season and it can grow wild it can do whatever it wants and these branches here do you know what they do at the end of the year one they don't just prune them a little bit they cut them back almost all the way to the stump not quite all the way but almost all the way and then they let it grow for a second entire year and at the end of that second entire year do you know what they do they, they don't just prune them a little bit. They cut them back again, almost all the way to the stump. This causes the roots to grow deeper. This causes the branches to pull more nutrients from the soil. Then in year three, they let it grow again for another entire year. This is often the first year that it will bear some fruit. And do you know what they do with that fruit? I can imagine if you're investing in a vineyard, you're just like, man, I want the fruit. It takes three years to get it. You know what they do with that fruit In year three? They let it fall to the ground. They don't use it. And then at the end of year three, on all these little buds... They cut them all the way back to the branch. That's the pruning. And then they let it grow year four. And year four, it bears fruit. Year four is the first year that they keep the fruit. And if they're making wine, they will press the fruit, get the juice. They will make uh, the, the wine, get the juice, so to speak. But then they put it in barrels or wineskins, and they'll often wait four more years of fermentation. And so, if you're looking for good quality wine, it is an eight year process. Very often, if some people uh, rush the process, they don't wait that long. But the, the ones, especially in Napa Valley, California, which is known for its wine, looking for the best quality wine, will wait eight years before they have their very first wine, new wine from the vine. You want to talk about a process. Jesus said that they would the Father prunes us, right? And it's funny, he says, the branches that don't bear any fruit, he removes them completely, cuts them off. That's called pruning. So if you're not bearing any fruit as a Christian, what can you expect from God? He's going to prune you. (laughs) He's going to start cutting some branches out of your life, maybe against your own will. Why? Because he wants you to bear fruit. Now, if you are surrendering to him and if you're doing what he wants and you're bearing fruit, what does he reward you with? Jesus said, pruning. Pruning. So you'll bear more fruit. So I think I heard Perry Stone say this one time, you're pruned if you do and you're pruned if you don't. This is, I think we have a picture of them doing the pruning. Do you have the big picture, single picture of the pruning? So at the end of the growing season, this would be in the winter. By the way, there's spring, the planting, or the season of growth. There's summer where it's growing. Then there's fall after the harvest. And this is what they end up looking like in winter. Did you know winter is a vital season for fruit-bearing plants? Winter is the season of rest. But those plants, they're not, just doing any, they're not just not doing anything in winter. They're pulling up all the nutrients that they're going to need. So come spring, phew, the new growth can happen. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we feel this pressure as Christians to always be bearing fruit all the time for Jesus. And if you don't understand, there's a process that Jesus, yes, he wants you to bear fruit but that means you're going to need some rest to soak up some nutrients. You're going to need you're going to need some winter seasons. Isn't it interesting that he established in his people a sabbath every week? Once a week take a whole day off. Why? Rest, get replenished, get refueled. Rest in a greater way. Focus on the Lord. Focus on spirituality in a greater way on sabbath than you do on the other weeks or the other days, because you have time to focus on him in a greater way. Did you know he established three entire weeks a year that they would take off of their normal work and all the men would go up to Jerusalem and they would basically, uh, they would either take, like, plants and animals with them as offerings and to celebrate in the presence of God, or they would sell those uh, plants and animals, get money and go up to Jerusalem. And it's basically like a week-long man camp three times a year for a week. And God told him, don't worry about your fields. I'll take care of them while you take a week off. Don't worry that other people are going to come and attack your family, or your farm. I will protect them while you do what I want you to do. What I want you to do is rest for an entire week. And of course, the ladies are at home. and, And God did not want the ladies working the farm while the men were gone. Rest. You know, the women were having a women camp with the kids. At home, while the men went off and had a man camp with the men, three weeks a year. God is the the weekend was God's idea. If you enjoy the weekend and a day off, praise the Lord because it was His idea. The week long vacation was God's idea, three weeks a year. And then every seventh year, He's like, don't do anything, don't plant trust me. And modern scientists have proven that if most farmers don't do that, because they are afraid that they will lose out and they can't do it. They think they can't do it, right? But God said, if you will trust me, I'm going to make the sixth year so bountiful that you'll live off of it in the seventh year. And modern scientists have proven if you would take a year off, guess what happens? All the nutrients get restored in the soil on the year off. And the next year is more, more bountiful. That's why farmers around here, they may not take a year off, but what do they do? Crop rotation. It's for the same principle. God knew all this. He knows how it works. He knows how the processes work that he set up. And listen, you can do your own thing and live your life how you want to. But if it's against how God has designed the world to work and your life to work, it's it's going to harm your life. You might think you're getting ahead working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. You will not be getting ahead eventually. Do you want to make a lot of money and be burnt out and frustrated and hate your life? What's the point? Trust the Lord. Trust the process. And so God weaves rest into our week, into our year, and even every seven years. He incorporated these seasons. And so this is the picture of the pruning. And so these branches grow every year. And so these are actually, there would be grapes on all of these at the end of the season. And then this is in the winter. This is in January or February. And in March is when the growth would start. In if we're talking California or probably anywhere in the U.S. Do you know which of these branches up through here get pruned? All of them. And listen, here's what struck me as I was studying this this week. Do you know how often they do this every single year? Once a year, after the new growth, after the harvest, and it all looks like this, they go through and trim all of these back to here. And it's like starting over again. I wonder if God's ever pruned some things out of your life. And it's been fruitful for you. And you're like, wow, it's like... Like, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every January, and we're like, fast social media, fast this, fast that. I don't know about you. We've been doing that for 10, 11 years now. Every year, I feel like there's something that I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to live this way from now on. You know? Like, early on, it's like, oh, I'm going to not watch TV as much. And then after it was over, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to live that way from now on. And I feel like every year, there's been something like that. And after you do that for a decade, it's like, Wow. There's a whole lot of things that are good things that I just don't do or I'm not involved in. It's changed the way I eat. It, it, I'm a healthier person. Why? Because once a year we're refocusing on the Lord and we're like, we, we, we choose to allow him to prune the things out. But man, we grow through that other year. You know, you see those, the fruit, you see the fruit in your life, but then you kind of drift and maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to go back to some of this, you know? And then eventually God's like, you need to (laughs) reevaluate. You might need to prune that again. Let's cut that back again. And so, pruning is something they do every single year. I wanted to make you aware of this process, and I wanted to talk to you about the pruning. And this is really the heart of the matter. All of this has just been explanation to give us an understanding so that we could arrive at this place. And this is really the heart of what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. It's important to have an understanding that God works through the process in our lives. And it's important for you to have understanding on where you are in his process. And the reason it's important for you is because we're not like plants which don't have free will and can't talk and can't make choices. They just grow and do what God created them to do. We have choice. We can choose to go along with God's process or not. And what I've learned is You can be right in the middle of God's process, right where he wants you, but if you don't understand that what's happening in your life at that moment, and I'll just say at the moment of pruning, if you don't understand that that's part of the process and this is a good thing, you can freak out a little bit. And those, nobody thinks about leaving their faith in the season of bearing a whole lot of fruit. When times are good, things are successful, I just said, I just mentioned my coworker that I go to church and he asked questions. Next thing I know, he came to faith. I didn't hardly do anything. Woo. It's amazing. God just blessed me at my job. You know, I got a, I got a pay increase. God's awesome. Nobody's thinking about leaving Jesus in those moments. But when God comes at you with a pair of shears and goes, let me, uh, let me just cut that out of your life. Those are the moments when we're like, hold up, what's going on here? Yeah. Did you catch the part? I'll never forget the first time I read that book. And I read this master Ventner talking about, oh, it's not just the pruning. The pruning is just like, oh, you know, little, you know, oh, here and there. Those first few years, you get cut back to a stump twice. I wonder if there's any people in here tonight who know the difference between a little pruning and being cut back to a stump. And man, I'm telling you in the moments of your life, when you get cut back to the stump, when your branch is about this tall, those are the moments when you're thinking, maybe God's not so good. I don't know about this. And you see, Like I said, we're not, we're not plants. Jesus said we're branches, but we have a mind of our own and we can choose whether or not to stay connected to the vine or not. God will never kick you out of his vine, but you can choose to leave the vine or stay in the vine. Why else in four verses would he say eight times, remain, remain, do not depart. Keep in mind the night before he's going to a cross and he himself, their whole movement, everything that they've given their lives for is about to be cut back to a stump. Remain, remain, remain. Do not depart. Do not depart. Stay. Wait. Trust the process. It's part of the process, it's for your good. The Father doesn't cut you back to cut you down, He cuts you back. Because it causes the branch to become more infused with the vine and it pulls more nutrients from the vine so that when the season of growth comes, when the spring comes, when the rains come, and I'm going to prophesy this to you tonight, they will come again. You will grow again. You will have joy again. It's part of the process. You're just in the moment where you've been cut back and you're wondering, is God still good? I don't understand, Lord. That's what hit me when I read Psalm 89 this week. It's a very long Psalm. I'm not going to go into it. But Ezra or Ethan, whatever his name is, who wrote this psalm, he's like, oh, Lord, I'll sing of the Lord's love forever. Let's start it out all happy. And you rose up, David, among your people, and you've strength on a man. Oh, David, he's awesome. You gave him all these promises. God, you said of David, and it's in quotation marks, the next several verses. That, that you're going to bless him and his sons, the, the kingship won't depart from his son's line forever. It's going to go on forever, God. And then it's like, end quotes. And the last third of that psalm is, but you have forsaken us. You have left us. You've, you've forsaken the covenant with David. You no longer go out with our armies. God, where are you? And that's how it ends. And then it's like, praise the Lord, Amen. It's like, God, you gave David all these promises. Where are they in my lifetime, in my generation? What is happening? And as I read that this week, I was like, oh, you just don't realize Jesus is still coming. See, the season of David, that season, the tree was growing big and strong. God said in his word, and I I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Psalm eighty. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. He's saying Israel was his vine. Jeremiah two twenty one. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? God took Israel and he planted them as a vine and it grew and it was beautiful and they were bearing fruit. That's the season of David and God makes all these promises. This is what I'm gonna do. And then they're unfaithful. And then they start bearing fruit. God's like, that ain't my fruit. What is happening to my vine? It's been ruined. And so he allows the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come in and totally cut the nation back to a stump it's dead, it's over, the temple is leveled. They're taken as captives. God said, I wrote them a divorce certificate. Some of you didn't know God was divorced. He divorced Israel, sent them to Babylon. 70 years later, he brought them back. He married them again. He renewed the covenant. They rebuilt the temple and a shoot begins to grow. Faith is reestablished. And man, it ain't much to look at until Jesus comes on the scene and the shoot springs up from Jesse's stump, the line of David. And he grows and he grows in favor with God and man and stature and wisdom. And he begins his ministry in three short years. Oh my goodness. The greatest prophet Israel's ever seen. You know, was it Elijah that rose someone from the dead? He rose multiple people from the dead. They're like, he's way better than any prophet that's ever lived. He's healing the blind. He's opening deaf ears. He's feeding 5,000 with a few loaves. There's nothing ever been like this guy. It's all amazing. And then at the Last Supper, thousands of people are following him. He's famous all over. The tree is growing big and strong again. Woo! Time for the second cutting back. He gets betrayed and he'd been telling them uh they're going to i'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the pharisees and the romans and they're going to kill me and three days later i'll rise again and it literally he literally told them that several different times and it was like whew, like it says they didn't understand what he was talking about they couldn't conceive it what are you talking about when he washed his disciples feet in john 13 he says listen Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing, but later you will. Why? Because it's a process. Because God's not trying to get you to learn everything in one day or in one sermon. Praise God. Sometimes I feel like I have to get there. That's why I preach for two hours sometimes. God's like, no, you don't have to learn it all in one night, in one go. It's a process. And man, in those moments when you're cut back to the stump, that's when it's hardest to trust the Lord in the process. That's why it's really good to not just read scripture. It's so good to read scripture. But especially if you're someone, if you're sold out and you're like, I'm going to be obedient to Jesus no matter what. It's really good to keep a journal, to keep your own prophetic history with the Lord. And write it down. Especially when it comes to major decisions. Write it all down. Get confirmation. You write it down. Okay, we're doing this. You make a decision. Okay. And man, then you step out into the decision. And sometimes you're expecting, well, I've just done the Lord's will. I'm about to see crazy growth and tons of fruit. (laughs) And sometimes you take that step and you risk everything and you go, whoa. And all of a sudden you get cut back to a stump. And you're going, hold up. I didn't sign up for Stumpville. I'm looking for Fruitland. We're in Stumpville now. How did this happen? Pastor Jamie shared a a great message about when we make our hope, our expectation, and we call it faith, how that can get us into trouble. Because if things happen that were not our hope and our expectation then our faith fails sometimes because our faith was in this one specific way that God could have worked it out, and he didn't. But don't confuse hope and faith. Faith is trusting God no matter what. It's confidence in God no matter what. Amen. Even when my expectation didn't happen the way I thought it would. There's a little girl named Ruby. If you would pray for her, Her parents are friends of ours, and they adopt her from Uganda, Africa. And she's been growing and flourishing in her parents' household here in the States. They moved back to the States eventually. And I think she had the second fastest mile or something like that in her, you know, junior high school or middle school or whatever it was. She's fast and out of nowhere starts having these leg problems, hip issues. And she has this some kind of degenerative hip thing at 11. She's 11 years old. And her mom posted about it on uh, Facebook this week. And at the end of this big long post, which was really about trusting God in the process. And they're a family that believes in the miracles of God. And Ruby's little prayer at the end was so awesome. She's like, God. And I'm paraphrasing, but she said, I asked you to heal me, heal my hip in 2022. And it didn't turn out like I hoped. But I ask you to heal me again in 2023. And she's like, well, I didn't, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted, but I'm trusting God in the process. At the moment when his disciples are about to be cut down to nothing, you know you got to realize <laughs> Judas is one of their best friends you know when we just impersonally read scripture we know from the beginning it's like some of you when you watch the chosen the moment Judas comes on the scene you're like you snake you dog get out of here and you're like throwing dirt claws at your tv And that's what we do when we read scripture. We're like, oh, Jude, one of you is going to betray me. You know, he said that a few times before the last supper. Why would he do that? It just caused fear and confusion in his other disciples. The only reason I can think is it was a loving warning to Judas who was contemplating it the whole time. Don't do it. I know you're thinking about it. Don't do it. He was one of their best friends. You think they enjoyed watching him take his own life? He was apparently so good along with them that none of them knew it was him the whole time. And then he betrays Jesus, which was betraying them, and then he takes his own life. You want to talk about getting pruned, getting cut back. And then Jesus gets crucified, and everything is just... Black and hopeless, what is going on? And Jesus told him eight times, remain, 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 remain. If you want to bear fruit, you will need to be pruned. And if you want to bear much fruit, you will need to be pruned even deeper. In his book, Secrets of the Vine, Bruce Wilkerson says there's two main types of pruning, So what he calls early pruning, which happens early on in our faith journey, and deeper pruning, which happens later on in our walk with God. And he says it this way, while early pruning is mostly about your outward activities and priorities, mature pruning is about your values and personal identity. In this deeper pruning, he goes on to say, the pruning will intensify as God's shears cut closer to the core of who you are. And I have this right in my notes, and I have it highlighted. And Kenton said it at the beginning of the service in that worship devotion. The further we go with God, the less we can take with us. I think it's interesting And I think we do, modern people, a disservice when we give an invitation to Jesus as, just raise your hand, you'll have all your sins forgiven. That's it. Just do that. Jesus started with his disciples, come and follow me. And they knew what that meant. That's why after they just met him. The biggest catch of their lives, they leave it all on the beach. The biggest catch of their lives. The most money they've ever made in a single day. And they leave it on the beach to follow him. He said later on, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross daily and follow me. One of his disciples, the one he loved, John, said in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or anything in the world, if any... One loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. James 4, verse 4, the brother of Jesus wrote, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. When we present the gospel as just raise your hand, say a prayer, you get forgiven, the message we send is, and you can just keep on right on living the life that you want to live. You know, keep your nose clean, don't get in too much sin. You know, don't use drugs and and don't uh, sleep around. And other than that, have fun, do whatever you want. And Jesus is really there to just help you out when you get in trouble. And that's a lot of modern American Christianity. But here's the disservice. The Father disciplines those he loves. When we get disciplined by Father God, we start to think, does he even love me? He says in Hebrews 12, I don't discipline those that are not my sons. But everyone that is my son, I discipline. And discipline can mean stern correction. It could mean punishment, not for your sins, but in the sense that I want you to remember this so that you don't do it again. Stern correction await those who leave the path, it says in Proverbs. And it can mean tra- like training. training, just growing in wisdom so you don't do stupid things anymore. But God does that to all of us. He prunes all of us. It's going to happen. And so we do this disservice when we present an easy gospel that's easy to receive because what happens is people like, I want forgiveness, but then I still live for myself. And then we put other things in the place of God, our own entertainments, our own hobbies. That's called idolatry. Anything that... Do you know what the true essence of idolatry is? It's anything. It could be sinful or it could not be sinful. It could be a good thing, so to speak, that you're drawing your source of life from, your source of fulfillment from, your peace, the things you go to to comfort yourself in the deepest places other than God. That's your idol. And so when I was a younger, more sinful man, I would go to sexual things or alcohol or marijuana to comfort myself, to get meaning and purpose out of life, to even enjoy life. I would go to those things. It's an idol. Now, those were sinful things. Now, when I came back to Christ, I gave all that up. But then what did I start doing? This is, this is going to sound crazy to some of you. I started working out like six days a week and enjoyed it. And I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to do an Ironman. I started doing triathlons. Yeah, yeah, achieve, 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 achieve. One of those 21-day fasts in January, God told me one year, this was several years ago. He goes, I want you to stop working out. I'm like, What? I'm going to lose fitness. <laughs> Do you realize that the gains come in the like top 1% of training? Stop working out. I'm like, okay, it's only 21 days. I love you, Lord. For 21 days, I will obey. I got through those 21 days, and he goes, when you start working out again, I want you to only work out two days a week. I'm like, what? The best I can do with that is maintain fitness. I'm not going to make gains. I'm not going to get a faster 5K. Because I have a goal that I want to run, this is embarrassing, under a 19-minute 5K. Some of you are like, that's amazing. For real runners, that's nothing. When they're out of shape, that's easy for them. But for me, I'd never done it. And I'm just like, oh, I can't do that on two days a week. That's never going to happen. And this haunting question kept coming to me. And I obeyed the Lord. I was like, I'll only do two. I'm like, my life's over. (laughs) Slipping into depression. Can't give myself fully to training to get the gains. Okay, Lord, fine. I guess you want me to pray and read my Bible more. (laughs) And by the way, I was already praying and reading my Bible quite a lot. So I didn't think it was fair. And this haunting question kept coming to me. Why? Why? Why do you wanna have that level of fitness? Why do you wanna break your own PR in a 5K? Why do you wanna run a marathon? Why do you wanna climb the highest mountain? Why do you wanna do an Ironman one day? One day I'll do an Ironman, a ultra marathon. Why, why? Why? Oh so I can get the little sticker to put on the back of my car to say, (laughs) I don't know if you're driving behind me today or not. (laughs) Do you see the (laughs) 26.2? That was me. (laughs) I'm not going to say that, but you might ask about it. So I'm going to put the sticker, humble. It's the humble brag. Then one day I'll get the Iron Man sticker, and I'll put it on there. And quietly and humbly, everyone will know what I've accomplished in my life. Isn't that stupid? Why? Is that going to be like your income? Are you providing for your family? Some guys do. Go for it. Awesome. No, this is my hobby. And I was looking for significance in stupid, trivial things. Several years goes by. You can ask my wife. After a season of fasting this year, I, I didn't give a crud about working out for those years. I totally gave it all up. Several years goes by. After a season of fasting this year, the Lord tells me, you know, when you're done with this fast, you can start working out again. I was like, "Where?" I'm like, I don't even want to. Like, well, I've lost all desire. He's like, yeah, it's not an idol anymore how about it do what you want anything you go to to get meaning significance comfort other than jesus is an idol and if we present the easy gospel early on what happens is that we get those things get wrapped up in our identity And because Father God knows that sometimes our faith is too weak for him to say, give it all up. He'll just come in and go, hey, stop working out right now. What? The early pruning. Hey, just stop watching TV so much. Hey, just, yep, just listen, yep. We give some of those things up. We see the benefit and value. We see the fruit being produced. Now we're more willing. Now he's like, do you know why I asked you to give that up? Because you've got a performance problem. Because there's three categories of sin, Aaron, and yours is pride of life. You want to accomplish great things. You always have. You've always wanted to be the best at anything you do. Why? To accomplish greatness. Why? To prove to the world, to prove to yourself that you have meaning and significance. Through your own accomplishments. Oh, that's ugly. (laughs) And God goes, now we're going to prune that. And that's a deeper cut. That's a deeper cut. Jesus just starts to, hey, just come and, uh, does everybody got, look under your seat. Do you see the cross? Everybody, get a cross under your seat. Yeah, just get that out. If you want to follow Jesus, get your cross. I'm just kidding. There's no cross under there. It's proverbial. My words are spirit and they are life. Um, it's a proverbial, it's a spiritual cross. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But that's what Jesus does. Oh, yeah, if you want to follow me today, get your cross first, give up everything. Give up your personal ambition, your personal dreams, your personal desires for what you want out of life in every way, shape, or form. Get rid of this American dream gospel that just add Jesus to it, and you're gonna be able to do everything because you're invincible now, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can achieve all my personal goals and all my personal dreams, and that's what the gospel's for. No, the gospel's for your salvation to save you and then to help you see Jesus is the most beautiful thing in the universe universe so you're willing to give up everything he's like a treasure in a field that you stumble upon so you go sell your entire life so you can follow him and you can do what he wants that's the gospel it's not you doing your dreams it's you doing his work i used to say don't follow your dream for your life follow god's dream and that's a real nice sugary way to say it. But I think the way I just said it was better. Give up your dreams for his work. Because it's work, man. Jesus said, i got to be about my father's business. It's work. giving. But when you realize who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he wants to do for everyone else... Sign me up to work for the Father every day of my life. Let's go. And that's what he's trying to do. And from the beginning of his call in scripture, he says, give it all up to follow me. I'm worth it. It'll be worth it. Trust, trust, trust. It's worth it. Give it up now. Because here's the deal. The level of pain in the pruning is proportional to the lo- your love for things other than God. The level of pain in the pruning is proportional to your love for things other than God. Because again, we have free will. Those branches in our lives, our will determines how easily it is for God to prune them. And so if we really, really, really love our dream or our entertainment or our hobby, and honestly we love it more than God, then when God prunes it, we'll be disappointed, we'll be wrecked. We'll be frustrated. But man, if you're fully surrendered, if you truly love God more than anything, then when he goes, let me have that, you go, okay. I'm going to prune that. I'm going to do it. Here come the shears. All right. Go ahead. Clip. All right. Anything else? Yeah, that over there. Okay. Clip. All right. Now what? Why? It's not painful. Why? Because you love him. You've got him. And that's why surrender is so important. And man, I'm just going to tell you I'm a Peter. And God told me in 2007, you're a Peter. And Peter is jealous of John. You know why? He's the one Jesus loves. (laughs) He lays back against his breast at the last supper. He's the one closest to him. He says somebody's going to betray him. John. Oh, the one he loves. Ask him who it is. When Peter gets restored, they go on that little walk. And he says, you know, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, someone else is going to address you and lead you where you don't want to go. To indicate the kind of death he would die. And Peter knew that's what he meant. And what does Peter do? What about him? (laughs) Peter was the one in the boat when he said, put out the deep water for a catch. And he said... If that had been John, he would have been, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I know you love me and I fully trust you. That's how John responds to that. It's my delight to do your will, even the hard things. Because I just love you, Jesus, and I know you love me. Peter's the one in the boat going, I worked hard all night. Where were you last night, Jesus? You want to let me work for 12 hours first and not catch a darn thing? Then you roll up in here, going to do a miracle now after I'm exhausted? (sighs) But I really believe you're the Lord, so I guess I'll do. this is what you're saying, I'll do it. Okay, guys, we're putting out the deep water. Yay. Not enjoying it until there's a massive catch. Then Peter has angst, (laughs) cognitive dissonance, because he feels bad about how he didn't want to do it, because now he's really enjoying the fruit, and he's, you ever had that where you know God's taken you through a hard season, and you have thoughts constantly like, I should be surrendering, I should be trusting, okay, fine, and you do begrudgingly, you get through this long season of months or a year or two, and and then, boom, God, the resolution comes, the fruit comes, God shows you why you went through it, and you're just like, yes, I'm, so, I'm just glad to be out of that season, praise the Lord. But then you have all this guilt, and you're like, oh, I complained and cursed my way through that last season. Lord, forgive me what a sinful man I am. Well, that's me. And I've had to repent a lot for God asking me to do hard things. And I'm like, I'll do it. I know it's you. Look at John over there, just enjoying life. You're not asking him to do hard things. (sighs) I don't know why I told you all that. Oh, I guess because it's been really painful when the Lord has pruned me in the past. And then he showed me, oh, the level of pain involved is how, hold, how hard you're holding on to those things. It's actually a choice of your self-will and whether you trust him or not. And man, if he prunes you enough, you know, you get all broken and your brokenness humbles you. Man, it's just easier to trust God, guys. Because if you're a hard man like Peter, he will break you. He will break you because it's what's best for you. It's the good thing for you. But, man, it's a lot harder. I tell my kids when I discipline them, I tell them to do something, and they're like, I'm not doing that. And they all know what this means now. I go, well, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And the easy way is they just listen and do it. But that, when I say that, they know we are doing this, son, whether you want to or not. And if you don't, there's going to be really bad consequences for you, and then you'll do it. <laughs> or you can just do it. And I just want to encourage you, start trusting him sooner. because you will see the fruit and that will teach you to trust him more. Or he can break you and you'll still appreciate it (laughs) that he broke you because when he breaks you, he gives you the wisdom to know why it's good for you. And you like yourself better (laughs) as a broken person. Like man, God broke me. That was totally him. He did it, and yet i 'm thankful. <sighs> so God starts this family. they grow for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years called the nation of Israel. He cuts them back to a stomp, the captivity in Babylon. He brings Jesus the shoot to grow out of the stomp, grows into a mighty vein he, a, a, a mighty uh, branch, I mean. He's cut back to the stump. He was crucified. And out of that second cutting back, though, a new shoot grew, that of 120 disciples in an upper room. They had been cut back, too. They had been pruned of their pride and ambition. You ever notice after the cross, they're no longer arguing about who the greatest is? It never happens again because they all got pruned. We all fell away. None of us are the greatest. Jesus is. They had to get pruned. They had been pruned of their ambition and wanting the kingdom to be the one that overthrew the physical Roman government and called down fire on towns that wouldn't believe or go along with them. They'd been pruned of all that, of realizing they realized in that upper room that continuing to follow Jesus would result not in thrones on this earth, but on prisons, in prisons and executions. They had been cut back, but they chose Jesus. They chose to remain, 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 remain. remain. Do not depart. I mean, how much hope do you think they had in that upper room? Because again, he left 10 days earlier. He ascended to heaven. Now they're really on their own. He stopped appearing to them and giving them many convincing proofs he was alive. For 10 days, they're in an upper room. Do you know what I think they felt like in that upper room? Can you put the picture up of the stump with the shoot? I think they felt like this. But sometimes you despise even the shoot of hope in your life. You're like, man, I'm remaining. I'm remaining. But what good is it? Look at this. Look what's left. Look what's left. So they remained. And in 10 more days, he poured out his Holy Spirit. And that outpouring of the Spirit caused that little shoot to, to actually grow supernaturally fast. And, and, and actually, what should have taken years and maybe decades, it, it's like you should have went through a whole year to bear fruit. And in one day, pff, fruit's just flowing out. 3,000 new apples in the kingdom. People got saved in the analogy. 3,000 3, grapes, I don't know. 3,000 clusters, I don't know. <sighs> Will you trust God in the process that you're in as they trusted him in the upper room, in the midst of the pruning, after you've been cut back to a stump and you have nothing left? Do you realize, child of God, that when you have nothing left, you are perfectly prepared to bear the most fruit and see him move most powerfully in your life because there's nothing left of you to get in the way. So you could say that we have the most to lose when we have the most going for us. But when we have nothing left, we have the most to gain. So trust him. Be faithful in this season of pruning. When you feel as dead as a stump, look for the shoot of hope to spring up that with him all things are still possible. There is a hope against all hope. His name is Jesus. Trust him in the process. You might be a stump right now but it's part of the process. The Lord might be calling you to give up some things. Surrender willingly. You can trust him. You're on your way to greater fruitfulness, which also means greater friendship with God, greater satisfaction in God, greater contentment greater fulfillment, and greater joy. I don't know about you. All the years pursuing what I wanted, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm frustrated, I'm mad it's not happening. Over and over, year after year, I give everything up for him. (sighs) Fullness of peace and joy. I'm not talking about salvation, by the way. (laughs) I'm talking about my life as a Christian. I'm talking about my life as a pastor. All right, God, I'm all in who gives a rip about any accomplishments or anything. I just want you. I just want to be obedient to what you say every day. That's it. Peace like a river floods my soul. Joy, hope, faith in him, not in circumstances or what I hope might happen in him. And man, sign me up. Sign me up for that. It's greater fruit. It's greater fruit. It's better quality fruit. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for the fruit bearers in this room. Because I feel like there's many fruit bearers in this room here tonight. (laughs) And we're always on a journey with you, God. (laughs) And those vines get pruned every year. Because you're always looking for better fruit and more fruit. So I just pray for the fruit bearers in this room, God, that you would make them even more fruitful, which means there would be more pruning. And I pray, Lord, (sighs) that we would all surrender willingly to your pruning. That we would not only trust you in the process, (laughs) but that we would praise you in the process. (laughs) Because if we were a vine that got pruned every year, we knew it's part of the process. When we see your shears coming, we go, oh, thanks. Thanks for making way for next year's fruit. Thank you. Oh, that dead branch was just bothering me. Dead branches grew every year. After the harvest, it's dead now. Cut it off. So Jesus I want to invite you into this prayer tonight, church, if you're willing to invite Jesus to cut off anything in you or in your family or in your church life or whatever, that's not bearing fruit. So if you would just repeat this after me, say, Jesus, I give you permission to cut off anything in me, in my family, church family. That's not bearing fruit. Anything that's not of you. Or anything that's getting in the way of you. Anything I've put in your place. I surrender. And God, I ask. That you would just do me the favor. Of letting me know it's you. When that gets pruned from my life. So I don't throw a hissy fit. (laughs) And I can trust you and praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for your pruning. Amen. Amen.